going to pray, and I'd really appreciate everybody if you could to agree with me in prayer over the word, and also just as little moving around as possible, and really get as much out of this tonight as you can. I've been going through this series, and what, what I believe brought God's presence into this place, and, and has sustained his presence, and I believe this is important, and we're covering a lot of things that are important, okay? And tonight we're going to talk about unity, and this is very important. So, Heavenly Fathers, we come before you, and everybody's agreeing with me. Father, we agree together over this time in the Word. And we ask you tonight as we come before you through the name of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, Lord, we thank you for your Word, and we bless you. We hallow your name, Lord, that you alone are worthy. We honor you tonight, and we ask that the heavens be open, your glory come. But we ask you, Lord, to anoint me tonight and speak through me, because we love your Word so much, and we need your Word. We need to be people of the Spirit of God, but we need to be people of the Word of God too. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me tonight under a strong anointing that this will be as living seeds of truth that are sown out in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. But help us tonight, everyone that's going to be hearing this live, those that hear recordings, whatever, help us by your Holy Spirit to just get locked in that the Holy Spirit will invade where we are and help us to get focused, help our minds to get focused on the Lord, focused not being distracted, or to anoint our eyes and ears to be eyes and ears of the Spirit, to be able to see and hear what God is speaking to us and revealing to us, Lord, that you really get this word in us tonight. And Lord, we ask you to bless this time, and that the winds of your Spirit will carry this everywhere it needs to go. Let your mighty angels watch over the word, and we stand on the promise that your word will accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let light of truth shine and dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy and break through. Lord, let it be a hammer that breaks through the strongholds, a sword that cuts away what needs to go. And let your word go forth and accomplish all that you want it to among the nations. It's going to get where it's supposed to be, accomplish that which it's supposed to do. And we agree together that the Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. But we bind the enemy that would try to hinder this word in Jesus' name. Back off. We break your power. In Jesus' name, we bind you. You will go right now. Lord, just let your angels clear away anything not of you and watch over your word. And we thank you, Lord, for everything being accomplished. Your will to be done right now. In Jesus' name, in every life, through this word, let us never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight I've been dealing with a lot of different subjects in this series, and I encourage you to go back and listen to them. So each one of them is important, and all of them are very different. Last week I dealt with purging the gates, and I talked about warfare in the heavenlies, principalities, and powers. I talked about the Hebrew roots. So this is really important that everybody grasp what I'm about to say. Just kind of lay some groundwork, okay? But anytime you have a road, you've got two ditches on each side, okay? And in the days that we're living, without getting too far into this, but just to touch on this because it kind of has to do with what we're going to talk about, a lot of times there's going to be, in the days that we're living, there's a road, there's a path that God has for us. And you see in the scriptures, there's different ref references. Like, for example, there's an ancient path that if you follow that path you find rest for your soul the Bible talks about the path of righteousness the ways everlasting there's a lot of different scriptures okay but there's a path that God has for us it's a way of life 
And Jesus said that it's a narrow path and few find it. But on this path that God has for his people, there's ditches on each side. One ditch has to do with religion and legalism. This is a focus on the outward externals. Remember Jesus said that the Pharisees were whitewashed tombs. It's a focus on externals. It's a focus on just do's and don'ts, which of course that has its place, but it's just a total focus on rules alone. Um, it's a, it's very, many times a religious thing. It's very cold. There's no real relationship with the Lord. There's a lot of cold, uh, sterile, dry spiritual atmosphere there, but also there'll be a lot of cold love toward one another. Because you're not going to have the relationship there to be filled with the love of God. And so there's this, there's this religion that's a form of godliness, but denies the power. It's just rules, but there's no relationship. Okay, that is just religion. And that's, that's a ditch that the enemy wants to get people into, where they feel like they're always having to earn something, they're always having to work, they're always having to strive. And they live frustrated, and it's a very strong bondage. All right. Now, the whole other side where there's the other ditch, this is the e exact opposite of that in many ways. But it's also extremely evil. On this other side, you have lawlessness. And this is where you have people that want to be able, be able to live just any way they want to, and still profess to be a Christian and go to heaven when they die. And they will pervert scripture, they'll twist scripture, they'll take it out of context to justify a life of unrepentant sin. And they'll live a life of sin and rebellion against God, rebellion against his word. Nobody's really going to tell them what to do. And if you go in and you try to tell those people that are in that deception, you're just trying to help them. Say, look, man, you, you can't live like that. If you're a Christian, just say that. They'll attack you and say, you're religious, you're legalistic, you know, I'm free to do what I want. It's a deception. But there's a path that is in neither one of those ditches. There's this path that God has for us that's a path of righteousness. Where you have a relationship with the Lord, you're his sheep, you hear his voice. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's not going to let you get away with things. You'll be convicted whenever you get off. When you start to move toward either one of those ditches, the Holy Spirit will convict you. And you have the word, but it's not just dry. You really get the word because the Holy Spirit is helping you to understand the word. And you're growing in the Lord. You're walking with him in a relationship. What religion fears the most is relationship and that's one of the biggest things that I preach is relationship because I want everybody to hear me really good I, as far as I know everything is fine but I don't know what's going to be next year neither do you and so I preach in a way that I'm telling people you need to have a personal relationship with the Lord for yourself do not depend on me what if I'm not here in two months? I don't know. I'm not promised tomorrow. What I'm saying is you need a relationship with the Lord for yourself. 
You need a prayer life. And you need to know the Bible for yourself. I'm not saying I'm going anywhere because I don't know. I'm just making a point. Okay? And rumors, you're out there, you know. Let's just kill that. But I am saying that we don't know what tomorrow holds. And this is serious. Because there's too many people that just want to totally depend on another person. We have got to have a relationship for ourselves. And you need to know the word for yourself because I've seen too many people that, that have been in Christianity, been in church, but something came along and got them into deception. And now they are away from God and they're not doing good at all. And they should know better. They should know not to hang around those people. They should have known not to get into the things they got into. But there was a First Timothy 4.1. In the latter days, some will abandon the faith. What listening to deceiving spirits, seducing spirits. These are demons and doctrines of demons. There's something out there that wants to pull people out away from Jesus Christ. The simplicity of the gospel. Are you hear what I'm saying? It wants to pull you away from Jesus. It wants to pull you away from the people of God. Get you out of the house of God. Get you out of prayer. Get you out of the word. And start giving all kinds of other ways of thinking, other philosophies of men, other religious belief systems. And all of a sudden now something's trying to tell you maybe reincarnation's true. Or maybe there's this new age over here. Or maybe this other religion has. You see what I'm saying? It's a seducing, lying spirit from the pit of hell that's trying to pull people away from the Lord. And so as I get into this tonight, I want you to keep that in mind that the devil wants to pull people away from God, okay? So as I get into this scripture, um, I'm about to read you about unity. I want you to really let God speak to you tonight about us. It's the importance of us being unified, okay? All right, so all of us need to do our part to unite the body of Christ. We may not all see eye to eye about everything and we may not understand each other all the times and there may be different belief systems that, that are really not that big a deal. As long as we can come together about the gospel, we can come together about the basics, okay? All of us have different opinions. But we need to be able to unify. And Satan hates unity because the Bible says a kingdom divided cannot stand. And we have tried, River of Life, we have tried and worked diligently and people that have been with me very long can tell you that we have worked diligently to try to do our part to help bring the body of Christ into a place of unity. But it has been no easy task because if the devil will fight anything, one of the things he will really fight is unity. All right. To keep unity... God wants us to, to do our part to help unify his people, but at the same time, what I'm saying is also important. That unity, though, does not mean that we begin to compromise. So in other words, just because we're wanting to unify God's people doesn't mean that I'm going to now begin to compromise my convictions or let things go on that shouldn't be going on for the sake of unity. And sometimes there are certain people that act real spiritual but they're not real spiritual and sometimes these people are actually quite divisive and rebellious and sometimes God's got to go in there and remove those people out of the way so that there can be true unity
You know, whenever we're dealing with denominations, I'm not against them. I'm not preaching against them, okay? I'm not doing that, and I don't want people to say I'm doing that because I'm not. But denominations, nonetheless, are man-made. And the problem with them, though, is this, is that they divide God's people many, many times. You see, this group over here believes this, and they don't like this group over here that believes this. And it's all rampant, but the problem with that is is that the body of Christ is way too divided. In any given city... You've got a lot of people, but you've got them in their little camps that don't like each other. And if the city, if somehow we could help to bring people together for the purpose of, of soul winning and for the purpose of prayer, I believe that we could see a lot of things happen in a city. And that is what Satan is battling a lot, I believe, is in this area of us coming together with worship and prayer. And we have, uh, we've done everything we can do, and I'm believing God to be able to do more, but we've done everything we can do in River of Life. I have, I've assisted, I've gone to other churches, we've packed up and gone to other churches and joined with them in prayer. We've gotten uh, different churches together to pray and fast, and we've been able to you know, go out of our way to do that, and I have a heart for that, but not everybody has a heart for that. And unfortunately, we've, we've even opened our doors for, for others to come, but it's, it's not been well received in the city, which just simply shows the condition right now. But if we pray, I believe God's going to send revival. And you know, the interesting thing is, when you look at the Azusa Street revival, you know, William Seymour, who at the time, you know, he's this, this black man, had one eye from polio that was gone. So this one-eyed black man just going after God with all of his heart, but he lived in a day with the Jim Crow laws where there was segregation. There was a lot of persecution. And um, God began to mightily move among his, his fellowship there. There was around maybe a dozen um, African Americans that were meeting on Bonnie Bray Street, and it birthed the great Azusa Street Revival. But I made all that point to say this, that whenever they rented the mission, here you're dealing with all the things that divide people. You're dealing with racial divisions, and you're dealing with denominational divisions. But because of the presence of God that was so strong in Azusa Street, when people become, even those that were skeptics, even those that were standing back there with arms folded, the presence of God becoming so strong that they would pretty soon find themselves weeping. And you would see in the altar, it's historically recorded, that there would be a black man kneeling next to a white man and kneeling next to somebody that had a suit on, next to somebody that was dirt poor, that was homeless, next to somebody that was this denomination and a person that was almost the exact opposite in their denomination. Why? Because the presence of God came in and brought a unity that nobody could do. And so that's, that's something that's really on my heart. And, and I know that uh, Lila Turnhune has, has written that book, Cross Pollination, and she uses the examples of, of beehives and all this. But anybody that, you know, has worked with bees, they know that, they, that each beehive has a queen bee. And there's a certain scent. And those bees are all going to be attracted to that queen. So even though you have multiple hives, they're all going to congregate to their, their queen bee. And the problem is, is that every once in a while, a queen will die. And so somebody that's a beekeeper has got to figure out a way to bring two hives together. And so what they've done, and this is really interesting, is they've taken something like maybe baby powder or some kind of a powder that has a scent to it. And he would go over there and begin to just toss it up like this above one hive and get them all saturated with that smell. And then go over to the one that their queen has died and begin to toss it up in the air around them and get them all smelling the same. And next thing you know, they all congregate together. They become one. 
under that new queen. And I believe that there's a spiritual application to this. You know, we're preaching something and we're believing for something, but bottom line is it's going to take a move of the Holy Ghost to see it happen. And it's just like that powder. The Spirit of God has got to come down and help unify the people. So let me give you a few scriptures. Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when uh, God's people live together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, as if it were the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So what you're seeing here is, is when people can unify, God is saying that where there's unity, he said, there my anointing oil will flow. I think one of the reasons why a lot of churches, a lot of places are not seeing a move of the anointing of the Holy Spirit is because there's so much strife and division. There's people out there that are rebelling against the pastor and they're talking about him and his family. They hate each other. You got this group over here sits on this side. This group over here sits on this side. They don't like each other. Do you really think God's going to move in that environment? I promise you he won't. But if you can ever get people to really humble themselves and ask forgiveness for all of that and begin to unify and go after God, you're going to see the oil begin to flow again. And the Bible says here, another translation says, and here in this place, he said, God will command his blessing. The Lord bestows his blessing. He'll command it. And this isn't just a blessing like we can say a lot of different words. The Lord bless your health. The Lord bless your finances. Or There's a lot. This is an all-inclusive where God says, be blessed. And I mean, it includes everything. It's God's commanded blessing. Are you see what I'm saying? When God has blessed something, man, there is nothing that the devil can do about it. There's nothing that man can do about it. When God has bestowed his blessing and commanded his blessing, it is blessed. So if you want to live where the fresh oil is flowing and there's a commanded blessing, then we're going to have to unify. But that also means that leadership is going to have to keep their eye out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. Because there are people that try to come in that Galatians says they will try to spy out your freedom and come in among you. And the book of Acts talks about, Paul said, even from among those that I'm speaking to, there'll be wolves, ravaged, savage wolves that are raised up to draw disciples after themselves. And Paul was predicting that. And the Bible says that even um, Satan appears as an angel of light and there's wolves in sheep's clothing. So sometimes there's people that leaders have got to spot them that they're trouble. They're a little Jezebel that's running around causing problems. They're a little divisive person that's trying to gossip. And those are the ones many times that will bring the greatest division among God's people. I told that story last week where um, John Hagee's father had to deal with those two ladies in that church. I'm not going to get back into that. But the point is that you've got to deal with that. Many times if, if the minister will deal with the things that need to be dealt with, it will break things open. And let me tell a few quick stories about that. So there was a church, and I'm not going to say which one it is, but they saw a significant move of God. And through that move of God, they saw a lot of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people get saved. And many lives were transformed. It was very significant. And before that revival broke out, what a lot of people don't realize is that the pastor there had to deal with some stuff. 
and uh, the the evangelist that was a part of this move of God was telling me okay and um, he was there one Sunday but anyway make a long story short there was particular people in the church a husband and a wife but the wife was was a major gossip and she would go through the church and and say this about this person this about another and it was constantly just stirring stuff up people causing people to fight with each other and um, the pastor brought him in now Matthew 18 talks about dealing with these things systematically so he tried to talk to him and he said the husband just wouldn't deal with it and um, they you know she tried to lie and say she wasn't doing it but she was and he says the pastor says it's going to stop anyway then they took next step they took some witnesses some elders tried to talk to him and um, anyway there was no repentance and so eventually it escalated to the point that it had to be taken before the church. How many knows it's biblical? So the pastor got up and the evangelist was there and he was telling me about this. And he said the pastor got up on a Sunday. Everybody was there. And he said, um, before we move forward, I need, I'm making up names. Bob, I need you and your family to stand. And he told him, he said, for everybody, he said, look, I've gone to you in private. I've talked to you. I took others. We've tried to plead with you and talk to you. I've done everything I can do to get you to stop gossiping, but you've been dividing this church, and you've refused to repent. So from this day forward, pack up your stuff. You're no longer welcome here. The ushers are helping you out. Go and don't come back. And he kicked them out. And the evangelist said he was sitting there. He had to preach after this, but he said it was like there was an, a dark cloud over that church that when they left, he said it just lifted off that church as they left. He said, just open things back up. Sometimes you've got to deal with those that are sowing division. And I also personally know a pastor out um, east of here, not far. My family knows this pastor. And we even know the people that this, is, this happened with. But anyway, there were some troublemakers in this church. Same situation. Stirring up problems. And the pastor finally had enough of it and just told him, guys, I've done everything I can do, y'all are leaving and you're just not coming back you're no longer part of this church and he said they were doing nothing different after that happened they they still had the same worship team the same prayer meetings the same services nothing changed except that he kicked them out but he said after he kicked them out that it was like the heavens opened and God began to pour out his spirit in that church and they started having major revival in their church for a long period of time you remember me telling you about that he was telling us about they're telling my dad about that and he and then he was telling me but once you deal with these people so there are those that are among us that try to stir up division and try to stir up problems and you have to be willing to deal with it amen all right and in this sermon here i want to deal with a few other things hosting god's presence and having unstructured services which i believe that we've we've dealt with that some already but the priority needs to be on the presence of the lord when we come together the priority here in river of life is not about the sermon it's not about the worship team what i've always loved is is there's a culture here of people during worship are just so caught up in worshiping the the lord excuse me that it doesn't matter if the worship team is hitting every note right i don't think that people really notice that much because everybody's just caught up that uh, upward their focus on the lord and that's the way it needs to be but it's about god's presence being here 
The emphasis is not on other things. We need the presence of the Lord in our midst. But to have the presence, you have to understand that we have to be unified. John chapter 17, if you're taking notes, Jesus prayed toward the end of his life. You know that if somebody is dying and they know they're going to die, rather, if they know they're going to die, that you know that the last things they're saying, the last things that they're saying to you, the last sermons they're going to be preaching, um, the last prayers that they prayed, you know that it's going to be the most important things to them. You hear what I'm saying? And this was in John 17. This was right where Jesus knew that he was about to be arrested. And he was talking to his disciples. There were certain sermons he was preaching at this time, things he was talking about. And these were things that were really dear to him. But here, this prayer he prayed in John 17, you know that this was something really dear to his heart. But as he was praying, he said, Father, he said, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. And thus share in our glory. And so there's, he was praying for the unity of his people. And as they unified, he was praying that the glory would be in their midst. And I've already said this, and I think you would agree with me, but where there's all this fighting and this strife and this negative stuff going on, the glory of God will lift and depart. The heavens will be brass. It, there's not going to be a move of God. And, but if you'll clear all that out, and people will humble themselves, and they'll begin to unify together. And see, I think a lot of times the problem, problem is, is that this person wants this, and this person wants this, and this person wants this. And, and I've always said this, and I believe it to be true. It really doesn't matter what I want. And it really doesn't matter what you want either. It matters what he wants. You know what? If, if all of us would have that attitude, if all of us would look upward and say, Lord, it just really matters what you want, then all of a sudden it's like everybody's unifying around the Lord. But a lot of the bickering is, is that this person wants this, this person wants this, this person wants to control, this one wants to run this and do this. And all this fighting starts happening, posturing. They want to elbow this person because they want to be recognized. You know, it really doesn't matter. Uh, any of that matters at all. What matters is, is that the Lord is pleased at the end of the day. And another thing about hosting God's presence is also having unstructured services. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't have the faith for this. I guess they think that if they let God just have his way, that they're so scared to death that something will happen, I guess, outside of their control. They're terrified that they want, they've got to be in total control of everything that's going to happen. Man, forget that. There's not really anything I can do for you. What we need is for God to come down and touch his people. And where the Lord comes in and God begins to move, then lives are going to be changed. People, this, the lost are going to get saved. The, you know, people that aren't right are going to be convicted and repent. People that are sick are going to be healed. People that need deliverance are going to get it. But that's going to be where the Lord is moving. That's the act of God. That's the move of God in their midst. Look, there's not anything that a man can do for you, but what God, when he comes down, he can do anything. So my point is this. We need to quit trying to control everything and just let the Lord come do what he wants to do. Many times it's easier to give birth than raise the dead. 
And so that's why I wanted to, to start something. Well, God put on my heart to start something from the ground up and base it in prayer. And it's interesting because this is something that I've had for, for a long time in my mind and going back on old, old notes and things like that. It was really interesting to have Brother Benny come and talk about giving birth this year. And, and it's a time of birthing, which is a prayer that, that has to do with intercession. Don't have time to get into that. But it's easier to give birth to something new and fresh that God's wanting to do than it is to try to raise the dead where you got a bunch of dead, dry Christians that don't want God to move. They don't want God to move. So we get into Matthew 9, 17. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skin will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. They pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So God's wanting to do something fresh and new. You know, I thank God for what he's done in my past. I thank God for what he did last year. But I want a fresh move of God today. I want a fresh anointing today. I want God to pour out his spirit today. But the thing is, we have to have kind of an unstructured uh, services and in an, and a, and a loose new wineskin for God to be able to move. If you're trying to control every little thing, God's not going to move in that. And if we'll keep hosting God's presence, his presence will continue to thicken. And what I've noticed in time is that as God has brought a new level of his anointing and a new level of his glory into river of life, and then we've sustained that, then that would become now the new, new level that we're at, and then God would later begin to increase it again. But many times people might have a good service or something, and then it's like they just go back to their old routine the next week and it goes right back to the same dead thing that they've always had. But if they would begin to say, Lord, let this come again and help us to move with you. And I believe as I've already preached on, this is part seven, so I can't backtrack and go back over things, but being consistent, I believe that the Lord's Supper we take at the beginning of service I believe speaking blessings. I believe that the, the heartfelt worship unto God. I also believe prayer and fasting. All of this has played a role in God's awesome presence coming in. And we need to have a heart for the lost and the hurting. So I'm just giving you some things. What brought revival? What brought the presence of God? What has sustained God's presence? And let me tell you something too. We all have to get to a place where we love God's presence and pleasing God more than we care about what other people think of us and more than everybody liking us because there's going to be people that don't like you and that's just life. We have to be willing also to have God's heart about reaching out to the lost and hurting as I mentioned. And one of the things that we've been doing also is getting out to those that, are, whether it's homeless, um, we have a ministry called Touching Hearts, and people have been reaching out, you know, into prisons, nursing homes, 
uh, you know, different outreaches and evangelism, just going out witnessing, but really consistently reaching out to the lost and the hurting. And listen to the Lord's heart, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus seemed to put an emphasis on reaching out to the lost. Matthew 9.36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were faint and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So the Lord's heart is deeply grieved for souls. He's, he's longing to see people saved. And it's a reward for his suffering on the cross when people come to him. And so our heart needs to be to not just have some kind of a social club here, but to have more of a hospital. Because we're continually trying to get out to reach the lost and hurting. And then as they come in, that God can clean them up and do a work in their life. But to continually be reaching out. And I loved hearing that today, just that, you know, some, some went out today and they came back saying that, uh, that they talked to people that accepted Christ and how awesome that is. And, and we've tried to do our best to create a culture here of continually witnessing. That it's not just an event. But every week, you know, to encourage people, get out there, share your faith and... And we've been doing this for so long now. And it's always encouraged me because I've even seen some of our younger people that they'll grab some pamphlets and take off running. Next thing I know, they're out there in the parking lot witnessing to somebody that was just walking by. But it's creating a culture like that of really reaching out to the lost and hurting, okay? So what brought revival? What has brought God's presence? I believe these things have. We have to unify. We have to host God's presence and have unstructured services, not trying to control everything. But let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do and just move with him. Because tonight, I'll give you an example. Tonight, if God wasn't moving for me to preach, I wouldn't be preaching. Most services I do preach, but I'm not, I'm not bound to any specific structure. Whatever God wants to do, we're going to move with the Holy Spirit. All right, and then the last thing I'm going to say, and this is a little bit different, but I want everybody to really give me your best ear about this, is this is probably something that I don't know that you've thought about and it's very important but I believe this really has also had a role in God moving the way he has here in this ministry and that is being loyal to people now I'm going to give you something if you want to take notes or whatever and jot some things down I'm going to need to kind of lay some groundwork for this last point and then this is going to be my last point and I'm going to close with this but when Aaron was, was called by God to be the high priest, Aaron had four sons. We know two of them died, Nadab and Abihu, because they offered strange fire. Okay, So they died. So that left two sons. You had Eliezer and Ithamar. Ithamar's descendants, that bloodline went down to the house of Eli in Shiloh, where little Samuel was brought. And that family, Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were the descendants of Ithamar, but Eli would not deal with them. His sons were wicked, and he wouldn't. What he should have done was remove them from the priesthood and got them out. But Eli would not deal with them, and he was allowing sin in the camp. So God brought judgment on Eli. And the Bible says that Eli died, his two sons died, and that bloodline there of Ithamar was basically killed by God. It was cut off. 
So there was only one remaining bloodline, Eleazar. And that went all the way down the scriptures. You read all the way down to John the Baptist, who was a descendant of Aaron. That he was in that bloodline of Eleazar, okay? I don't have time to get into all that, but I'm making this point. That down that bloodline, there was a priest that lived during the days of David. And his name was Zadok. And many of you probably heard of Zadok the priest, okay? But he was the priest during David's time. And he would offer David counsel and pray with David. But there was a particular time that David was going through a lot of hurt and pain because his son, by the name of Absalom, had began to go out in front of his um, temple area or the David's throne, would go out in front at the gate there, and he would greet all the people and he was telling people things like, well, if I was king, I would do this. I would be more sympathetic, etc., etc." And he was trying to discredit his father and get everybody to look to him. And Absalom began to sway the people. And ultimately, this was a major, major betrayal in David's life. That his own son turned against him and tried to take his throne. But what was so foolish was this, was that God established the throne of David. And it was going to have to be God that removed it. You hear what I'm saying? Anyway, Absalom let, leads this rebellion. And David, instead of starting a civil war and having Joab and his military forces attack and there'd be all this bloodshed there, instead of having this civil war, David decides he would leave Jerusalem with all those that were loyal to him. And that he would go out and then as he got um, out of the city, he would pray and put things in God's hands. Well, to make a very long story short, because you can read about this in the Bible, um, Joab and them ended up that Absalom was killed and the rebellion was, um, was done away with. And David was able to return back to his throne. But Zadok was loyal to David. Zadok was loyal during the dark times that David was going through when David was being betrayed when David was having to leave Jerusalem and things did not look good for David see somebody that's just an opportunist would see that David was leaving and they would think to themselves well maybe if I go getting good with Absalom I can have a great position and have a great name you see what I'm saying but Zadok didn't care about that he wanted to remain loyal to David and he wanted to remain loyal to the Lord. And so Zadok followed David out into the wilderness. And listen to Ezekiel 44 verse 15. God says, but the Levitical priest who are the sons of Zadok. And who guarded my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me. Are to come near to me to minister before me. They are to stand before me to offer sacrifices of fat and blood declares the Lord. They alone are to enter my sanctuary. They alone are to come near my table to minister before me and serve me as guards. I believe that there's a reference in the scripture and it's, a, um, it's an affectionate reference here, but to the sons of Zadok. Why didn't God call them the sons of Eliezer? God called them the sons of Zadok. Why? Because Zadok was loyal during that dark time to David. Now, I'm going to say all that to say this. 
There's something about loyalty that you don't see a lot of, but it's extremely important with God. And I think about all Jesus went through. I think about his ministry. And now he had the, you know, the, the crowds. I mean, he fed the 5,000 men, not to count women and children, etc. But I remember as he went across the, the sea, and he was in, I think it was Bethany, but in John chapter 6, where all these people followed him, and Jesus said, you're only following me because I fed you. And I think about all the people that day that departed him, that all the crowds left Jesus that day. And Jesus looks over to the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? And they simply said, where will we go? And they stay loyal to Jesus. You see where I'm going with this? During these dark times, I think about the Apostle John, who must have had some kind of a Levitical blood because he was allowed in where Jesus was being tried in the Sanhedrin. But I think about the Roman guards that came and how Judas betrayed Jesus, but... The others, though they were scared and scattered, but think about John, who was there in that Sanhedrin courtroom when Jesus was going through that ridiculous court that was really illegal under the law, and I don't want to get into all that, but it was definitely um, an evil thing in many ways. But as Jesus was being spit upon and being struck and being mocked and, and all these accusers were there, John was off to the side, and he was loyal. He was there when Jesus was on the cross. And Jesus looked down and said, Behold your mother. He, he put Mary under his watch care. Because Jesus was the oldest. He entrusted her to John. But John was somebody that was really loyal to Jesus. You don't see a lot of that anymore. You don't. And one of the things I believe that God has really put on my heart. Galatians talks about the those that are spiritual to see people restored. There's certain people that are rebellious and defiant and you, there's no, you can't help them. But my heart though, for those that, that have been through stuff, you know, everybody that's been here, there's been many people that have had ups and downs, that have, that have gone through stuff, they've struggled with sin, they've been through a lot of things. But trying to be loyal to people. And I know, I'll give you an example. I'm just sharing this to make a point. I'm not sharing this about anything about me or anything like that. But I have a friend that's a minister that went through a really dark time. It was a lot like what I was talking about with David. And um, he had a lot of people that he had sown his life into for years that betrayed him. And it was a very, very dark time. And he just about lost everything through it um, in the ministry that he had. And, you know, during that time, this is what surprised me. All these other ministers that were friends of his just began to distance themselves completely because they didn't want to be associated. They didn't want their precious name, I guess, to be associated. You know, I understand that there is wisdom in, your, in guarding your name. I understand that. I understand the wisdom aspect. But let me just say also, too, that your, your precious little reputation and your name can be a little golden calf that you're bowing down to also anyway and they all kind of went on their own way and left him and um I, I wasn't gonna do that we're still friends to this day and i've caught some flack for it too there's some people my wife will tell you none of you in this room know about this but my wife does 
There was, there was a couple times I caught some flack about it. But from what I understand about things, Jesus doesn't take people like a piece of trash and wad them up and throw them away. That's not God. And I'm not going to do that. And there's people I know that, that, that try to treat this other man of God that way and they wanted me to do it and I wasn't going to do it. So I believe that the sons of Zadok are those that will be loyal to the Lord first, but they'll be loyal to other people. And God can look down and he can see that there's something there, there's a loyalty. And what did it say about the sons of Zadok? He said, these are the ones that will come near me in my presence. See, people that are, that are given to being Judases, and um, let me just say it this way if I could. Some people be one way to your face, another way behind your back. Some people are not loyal at all. When you start going through stuff, they're gone. There's some, some people out there that, that the second things start going sideways, they'll actually turn against you. Those are the type of people that are not going to, let me read it. They alone will enter my sanctuary. They'll come near to my table. They'll come into my presence. Those are the people that are not going to see that. But people that will be humble and be loyal to others and love people and put their arm around people when they're going through stuff, those type of people, those are the ones that are going to go into the presence of the Lord, okay? And this has been something that's been on my heart for a long time because it's a, it's a big deal to me. I believe it's a big deal to God to be a loyal people. And I know I've have, I have friends out there in the ministry that I've had to defend them. And um, I want to be that way. Amen? All right. So, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for let this get into us. Let us never be the same. Help us to be a people that will unify and deal with the dividers. Help us to be a people that will host your presence and have unstructured services, Lord. Help us to be a people that will be reaching out to the lost and hurting. And also to be among those that are loyal. Lord, will be loyal to you and loyal to your people. And not those that are betrayers, but those that are loyal. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. We bless you.